0: You're listening to the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast. Step inside some of the most forward-thinking minds in solar today. This show explores a deeper side of solar each month as Freedom Forever leaders sit down with CEOs, activists, and other solar experts to break the solar industry wide open. We'll discuss solar trends, news, and everything you need to know about how you can join us on the path of disruption. This is the Solar Disruption Theory. Hey everyone, welcome to the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast. I'm Sean McCready and with me as always is Jules Roberitz. Hey Jules. Hello everyone. This is so exciting. So welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us. This is season two of the Solar Disruption Theory Podcast. We've got a great year ahead of us and we're introducing a new segment on the show in honor of the new year and the new season. So each episode will be bringing you the latest and greatest in solar news. So with that being said, let's kick off the show. So great news in regards to the Federal Investment Tax Credit, or the ITC. For those of you not in the know, the Federal Investment Tax Credit is one of the most important federal policy mechanisms to support solar energy growth in the United States. The ITC is currently a 26% federal tax credit claimed against residential, commercial, and utility investors' tax liability in solar energy property. The residential ITC allows homeowners to apply the credit to their personal income taxes, This credit is used when homeowners purchase solar systems and have them installed on their homes. In short, a tax credit is a dollar for dollar reduction in the income taxes that a person or company would otherwise pay the federal government. And this has been such a hot topic over the past year, really over the past couple months, because this was set to expire after 2022.
1: Yeah. So, Sean, I think for everybody, let's break that down a little bit more. Like, what's the history on it? So ITC has been around for a few years, and what were those percentages? Because like you said, it was supposed to end, but what was it?
0: So after 2020, it was set to expire for residential projects. Commercial Mm -hmm. projects would have maintained a 10% investment tax credit, but for residential, it was gonna go away completely.
1: So now what are they saying?
0: So now with this new legislative package that just came out, it combined a $900 billion COVID relief package and an omnibus spending bill that provides a two-year extension of the solar investment tax credit. So instead of it going away after this year, they're going to extend it for two more years, 26% for 2021 and 2022. Then in 2023, it's going to be reduced to 22%. And then it will phase out entirely for homeowners in 2024.
1: So this is super fascinating because we were just talking with Anya about this with Sun. And she, you know, we were just like, why? Why is this going away? So how exciting is this to kick off the new year with now the ITC coming back strong like we really needed to?
0: Absolutely. And if you look at the reporting from SIA, the Solar Energy Industries Association, they did some numbers and the residential and commercial solar ITC has helped the U.S. solar industry grow by more than 10,000 percent since it was implemented in 2006. And that's with an average annual growth of 50 percent over the last decade alone. So this extension is pivotal when it comes to the solar industry. It's continued growth and it's it's just it's it's huge. It's crazy how big of a deal this is.
1: Absolutely. And especially in a pandemic, why would you take that incentive away? So I just I commend Congress for for implementing this. And I'm excited to see what else comes in this year when it comes to solar um, benefits for for customers.
0: And even though it came down to the wire, uh, I'm glad it finally went through because this was such a big deal. But for those of you listening, if you want to find out more about the federal ITC, head over to our blog. Freedom Forever has a great blog with a lot of great resources. So freedomforever.com slash blog or check out the show notes for more information here. So let's go back. I've talked about SIA. With only days left until President-elect Joe Biden takes oath as the 46th President of the United States, the Solar Energy Industries Association has created a 100-day agenda to help guide the solar industry over the next decade. So SIA is focused on three main principles, clean energy targets, infrastructure, and open markets. If you head over to their website, they put together a page titled The Solar Vision for 2021 and the 117th Congress. Here it shows three major areas of focus achieving clean energy goals and developing comprehensive carbon policy, investing in clean energy infrastructure and the workforce needed to build it, and ensuring markets are competitive and remain open to clean energy. They've got a lot of great information on their 100-day plan, and they've got a lot of lofty goals, but nothing is really out of character for who they are as an organization. Uh, Their president, Abigail Ross Hopper, stated, The organization is also placing significant emphasis on reversing the Trump administration's solar trade policies.
1: And just so everyone knows, back in 2018, um, what President Trump did was he put new tariffs around imported solar cells and modules. So that's, you know, that's where all of this is coming from.
0: Right. And that was a huge deal for even us, like getting solar panels at one point was pretty Pretty hard. And even when you would get them, the prices were, were ridiculous. So they have a lot of lofty goals for 2021. And what we just discussed is really just the tip of the iceberg. They have plans for community solar programs, low income access to solar transmission, planning and grid monetization. There's a lot of stuff in this plan.
1: And this is super exciting because it takes a really holistic approach to it. It's not just one dimensional. There's a lot of levels to this. So I'm super excited to see what comes of this in 2020.
0: Absolutely. 2022. 2022,
2: 2021 beyond. I mean 2021, <laughs> yeah. That wait, wait, wait what year are we You're in? It. <laughs> It's like when you can't remember what to write on your check. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, So if you'd like more information on SIA's 100 day agenda, check out SIA.org or just visit the link in our episode notes. But with that, there's a lot of great news for solar and we've got a lot of really great guests lined up for the new year. So let's get into it. Let's bring on the first guest of 2021 and season two. Uh, Today, we are so thrilled. We have the opportunity to chat with Anya Schoolman, who is the executive director of Solar United Neighbors. Anya is a soccer mom turned solar expert who has been a community organizer for over 20 years. Anya has worked for decades on environmental projects and policy up and down the Western Hemisphere. This work has helped her grapple with the issues of sustainable development and how to make complex issues relevant to the community. Anya, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Oh, it's so fun to be here.
0: I'm so Thanks excited to have me. you on the show. Uh, I feel like our relationship has become so timely because we had a conversation a couple weeks ago on you know how we can be better partners. And then also, uh, you came up on a, a movie recently that we both watched, Jules and I. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So we're so excited to have you here at this point in time. <laughs> so uh, you're with Solar United Neighbors. You're the executive director. Can you give me a little bit of your background when it comes to solar?
3: Well, I... Got in. I don't know if you know the story, but I got involved with solar by accident. Okay. Um, it, it, it started in 2007 when my oldest son, Walter, was 12 years old, and he was working on a project for his bar mitzvah, a social action project. Okay. Uh, the synagogue that we belong to really believes that kids before their bar mitzvah should spend a whole year on some sort of social action project and then he and his best friend uh, Diego who lived in the neighborhood in, in Mount Pleasant in DC went and saw the movie Inconvenient Truth Oh yes Great. and they came yeah. back and they're like mom we got to do something we're, we can't you know they grew up in DC so they're like we can't wait for the government we got to take action ourselves
0: <laughs> I love that.
3: And so they're like, let's go solar. So we tried and it was super hard. It was expensive. It was confusing. This is 2007. Yeah. And that was the beginning of our journey in solar.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. So Walter is the reason for all of this.
3: Walter's the reason. <laughs> and that's why. Well, thank you, Walter. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks, Walter. Yeah, calling me a soccer mom is appropriate because it was really the kids that got us into this project.
0: That's so amazing. And so when it comes to Solar United Neighbors and the history behind it, so we see that Walter had a, a, a awesome question of, can we go solar? In your role as executive director, you've been instrumental in the passage of landmark solar legislation and regulation. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
3: Sure. I mean, again, maybe I'll tell you a little bit more about the journey, how we got there sure. first, because that's how we got into the policy yeah. side. So we started to, go solar. It was too hard. It was too expensive. It was too confusing. And so I said to the kids, look, if we're going to do all the work to figure this out, we better do the whole neighborhood because that's the only thing that's going to make it worth it. Yeah. And they invented our first group purchase. It was called the Mount Pleasant Solar Co-op. They created a little flyer and they went door to door. And I always oh. tell people this story if there was that
1: way too, your son, your son organized going door to door to get the neighbors involved with us.
3: Yeah, totally. Wow, that's amazing and in 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 d c where we live in the neighborhood, they're row houses, and most of the houses are two flights of stairs between the sidewalk mm-hmm. and the front door. So I went with them on the first two, and after that <laughs> I was done. So, and literally, if there was not two 12-year-old boys running this project, it never would have happened. That's,
1: That's incredible. Amazing.
3: So two weeks later, we had 50 houses signed up. And then we were like, oh, my God, now what are we going to do? And it started a two-year process where we started to understand and bring in all these experts and help each other. We had lawyers. We had graphic designers. We had organizers. We had People from the city government, somebody from our Public Service Commission volunteered to help. I mean, it was uh, amazing. And what we figured out was that DC's laws were messed up, that they were really designed to prevent rooftop solar, and that there had been a, a law passed by the DC government that created a target for green energy, including rooftop solar. But they put the fine so low that for years the utility had just been paying the fine instead of putting green energy on the grid. Oh, and wow. so so before we did anything, we passed a bill that doubled the fine, and then that's what started <laughs> the market in DC.
1: So fascinating. That is yeah. a curious because, like, so you said you have row houses and you got fifty like fifty neighbors to participate. Was there any pushback? that you guys saw or that your son received when going door to you door.
3: No, know, we were surprised at how excited people were and how diverse the group of people that responded, it was all ages, races, backgrounds, languages. We live in a really diverse community and people wanted to for so many other reasons, you know, there was climate change people, there was economic development people, there were people that wanted to provide better security for their families, save money. And th- it, that was for me where this light bulb went off, where I realized solar is an amazing organizing tool mm-hmm. because of the way it builds bridges. Yeah. And that so many other people and so many kinds of people could see the value in it. Absolutely.
0: Wow. That's just that's an amazing story. I, that's, so uh, your your kids basically invented solar door knocking in in DC. <laughs> Two
3: thousand and seven, yeah. back when solar was you know eight dollars a watt or something like that. That's so. so
1: cool. I wanted to touch to like while you're talking about it. I wanted to touch on you know DC because DC is very different than other cities, and you know. In you know, in the show that we Sean and I will touch on later, clearly, but in the show, like it kind of dives into into that, and I wanted you to elaborate a little bit more on you know why it's so hard in cities that are in states because DC is not um, wh- why that's so hard
3: because DC has its own public service commission, we get to regulate our own energy, whereas most. Cities are part of a state and the, the energy is regulated by the Public Service Commission at the state level. So then the cities and the countryside are balancing interests. So for example, we're working a lot in Texas and Pennsylvania and in states like that, the people in Philly and the people in Pittsburgh have to balance the interests of the people in the Marcellus Shale region right Mm -hmm. so there's really diverse interests or the people in texas have to balance the oil and gas industry because it's at a state level and having it be at the city level means you're not balancing such broad interests but you're also much more able to hold the electeds accountable because it's most of energy policy making is very opaque and very out of reach to sort of regular people. It's complicated jargon. It's, you know, proceedings that go on for two and a half years. It's a a world of lawyers, and it's very complex. And so because it was D.C., we were able to really shine a light on the process. Mm -hmm. We were able to organize politically. So we organized solar owners in all the political wards in D.C., And then we started passing legislation. So we did a series of bills. That first one was in 2008. And then we tightened and expanded the solar market in 2011. And Mm. we doubled the SREC value. We closed the market so that we had our own SREC values there. Uh, for people who aren't from an SREC state, that's the Solar Renewable Energy Credit. So it's the green value of your electricity. And in D.C., it helps fund solar big time. Right. It's a very, very big piece of sort of the value. Um, we passed Community Solar. We passed a 100% bill. And we passed Solar for All, which is a bill that takes all of those utility fines for not meeting the, the energy standard and puts it into low income solar so that by twenty thirty five, every single low income household in DC will reduce their electric bill by half with either rooftop or community solar.
2: And that's already
3: wow. in legislation. That's amazing. And so it's that thing of having your elected people accountable to you right. directly. Right. That it's much easier at a city level than at a state level where you got all these trade-offs.
0: Right. And that's something that we talked about with Dave as well uh, from uh, Solar Rights Alliance, uh, this people power that you guys believe in. Because, I mean, this is that's who's making all of these changes. I mean, am I right?
3: Absolutely. It's really, it, at first, even a lot of the professionals are like, why this? This is not the most efficient. There's, you know, let's. Lots of other scenarios. Let the utility build it, et cetera. Right. And they really have to hear from real constituents that, no, people want self-control. They want to generate their own electricity. It's not about being sort of just switching your provider or switching your energy source. Right. And I have a great example of that where in Pennsylvania, We've been working on community solar legislation, and people are very excited about it because um, it's going to bring real revenue to a rural, struggling farming community where they might have, you know, land on the back forty that's not so good. Maybe it's right. got a lot of rocks, but they could put, you know, a megawatt of solar out there. Um, and it was only we only started to get breakthroughs when those farmers were talking to rural conservative legislators and saying wait we need this this is going to yeah. keep me in business right. this is keep me on the family farm and then the politics started to shift there but they had to hear from real constituents right and that's kind of the the crux of this thing is so many people want it so many people can get it and once they start really hearing from the politicians start really hearing from us things do change
0: right Jules, you wanted to say something? Sorry.
3: Sorry, I go on so long. Just no, no, on. no, no, no. I
1: love it. It's almost like I'm trying to like write notes just to yeah. catch up with you. Yeah. I, love, <laughs> I love the conversation because there's there's so much to dive into. And, you know, maybe a few minutes ago, you were, you were touching on these electric companies are so big and they have so much money and they try to confuse you. Yeah. And that was another thing. And you kind of hinted at it. And I wanted to kind of dial back to that. Um, because they spend millions of dollars um, on these campaigns that actually sound like they're pro solar, but they're actually not. And I think that I think it was in Florida that happened. yeah. Um, and just curious if you could bring to light some of those situations that have happened in some of these states because it's to me it's just so fascinating that it's not fascinating, it's frustrating, but I'm still shocked by it that you know these companies will will spend so many millions of dollars, trying to to muddle the
3: conversation yeah yeah i mean and we just see that happening over and over and over again i mean one of the things we see as i mean that we've been fighting on and working on recently is this hb6 issue in in ohio uh where the utility spent hundreds of millions of dollars to a fake front group to help elect legislators and elect a specific speaker of the house and get a giant multi-billion-dollar bailout on the backs of ratepayers, and it was all just like almost in plain sight. And it was really only when the FBI launched a federal RICO case could we get somebody to pay attention.
2: Wow, that's unbelievable! Know, this
3: kind of influence happens all the time of them basically buying their legislators, right, and right. buying their regulators. Indirectly, right? Because you, you know, you give all the campaign contributions to the governor, and then the governor appoints your regulator. And of course, your regulator is answering to the governor that you've already got put in place. Right. So there's money in politics, and then there's these crazy things like that. The story in 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 Florida with the. the companies know that more than 92% of Americans across the political spectrum love solar. Mm -hmm. Like, they know that they've seen that polling. And so if it ever gets to a referendum or a popular vote on these issues, they're lost unless they can confuse people and, and trick them into voting against their own interests. Because if people, if it's clearly written, People will always vote for having more self-control, more independence, more energy independence, more power, saving money on their bill. And the, the the secret that the utilities keep trying to obfuscate is that you can make electricity more cheaply on your roof than you can buy it from them.
0: Right, and they, and they don't, don't like competition. That's the essential
3: fact that right. they don't want anybody to. Right. Know, right, they
0: don't want competition, and they they believe that they own electricity. Right. Yeah.
3: And they've got their monopoly and nothing should undermine that. And uh, there's just a lot of us that are like, it's time to rethink what that monopoly means and where the parameters of it are. Right.
2: right. Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Well, with that, you
1: know, cause like we were saying that, you know, this is definitely a David and Goliath situation. You yeah. know, you've got these big companies and then, you know, you have people and, everybody's voice matters though and I think that's the important thing and I, I'd love to get into um, your organization more and how people can get involved and what they can do because yeah. it's so important to educate everyone on you know the importance of solar but then also like what are those what are those options for them like once they have solar or if they want to have solar what are the things that they can do
3: yeah there's thank you for asking that and it's something that we're always struggling with too is how you know how do we win? Because we have the numbers but we don't have the money and we don't have the power, right? So it with solar united neighbors, you can get involved at, at sort of any level. If you want to go solar, we can give you advice and support for going solar. And mm-hmm. we'll do a free roof review, you know, and just say if you got a good roof for your solar or talk to a solar expert. In some states, we organize group purchases, but in many other states, we don't. So you can go solar. And that's one very tangible thing that people can do. And and I think it's one of the most empowering things that people can do. But I always say going solar is the beginning of the process, whether you go with us or another company or on your own or you build it. We have all these DIY people, too, that put it on their cabins and stuff. Um, so you can – it's the beginning And then there's so many things you can do. First of all, you can share solar. You can tell people. So one of the things we do is we run the National Solar Home Tour with a lot of partners. And this year it was virtual. It's available right now. It's like nationalsolartour.org online. And you can go there and there's, I think, 2000 people shared homemade videos maybe it wasn't that number. I'm terrible at numbers, but hundreds and hundreds of people made videos of their own solar so that they could tell their neighbors.
2: That's so great. And
3: studies have showed that the number one statistically predictive figure of like, if you're likely to go solar is somebody in your neighborhood already went solar.
1: Yeah, we see that a lot. Like when we talk to our customers and we get testimonials, I mean, we have so many. I mean, we, we put a little ad out there in one of our emails say, Hey, if you're interested in telling your story, let us know. And We've got hundreds of people yeah, that are on yeah. it. And we're like, Oh my gosh, what do, <laughs> how do we even get all these stories? So, I mean, everyone's just so excited to share yeah. um, their solar story that it's, it's, it's really
3: exciting. Yeah. yeah and it, it it's so important. So that's one way people get involved, but then there's tons of other things. So, uh, there's all of this advocacy work. So you, first of all, it's learning the, the figures that we're always doing webinars and trainings. We do, this year we did how to write a letter to the editor, how oh, to great. lobby from your couch. Yes. We set up meetings with people's legislators. We do just online activism. So if you don't have a lot of time, you're busy, just open the email, click, and it'll send an email to somebody for you when there's a bill. So the most important thing is get on our mailing list. It's easy. Um, and we'll let you know what's going on. And whether it's a federal bill, like expanding the investment tax credit, yeah. or it's something really local, like your local municipal utility is blocking solar or just put a... Out, we just had one in Florida with some outrageous surcharge on Florida. Like you can go solar, but you have to pay us $200 a month if you want it to or something. Oh my gosh. So whether it's super local, state, regional, or federal, we'll keep we'll do our best to keep people informed yeah. and give them an opportunity. Uh, people turn up at public service commission. They testify. They tell other people. I mean, Every there's sort of a level for everyone. Yeah. Different people like to do different things. Even going back to my original story with Diego and Walter, our founders, who were yeah. twelve. <laughs> my son Walter is more the science-oriented one. And so he would do a lot of analysis. Like we collected the energy usage numbers. Um for all of our members. And then he analyzed like who is before higher or lower than the average, and then developed charts. And he analyzed (laughs) uh light bulbs. We bought all these compact fluorescent light bulbs. Remember, this is a long time ago. Yeah. And then he tested them. Whereas Diego was our lobbyist. And he would go and testify at the Public Service Commission and write speeches. And he was such a hit at the legislature here in DC at the council that they would rearrange the order of people testifying and they'd say, let Diego go first because oh, wow. we want to hear what he has to say. Amazing. Because he became so known as a spokesperson. That's so, so can, great. Can we, do a, can we do a where are they now? I know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I know. They're That's all impressive. grown up. They're grown up and my sons are getting a PhD in physics. Uh, Walter and Diego is getting a master's in social work. Oh, not surprised at all. Then
0: no, no surprises there. That's great.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's amazing.
0: (laughs) That's so great. Uh, And
3: Diego's on my board still, so he's. Oh, is he really?
0: Okay, that's so. That's what I was going to ask. That's so great.
1: I was going to add. So specifically, like you said, regional, state, city. So what? I guess. What are all the states you're in? Yeah, who do you cover? uh, Like, who can, yeah, who can join? Is it for anyone or is it?
3: Anywhere in the country. Um, I I know you heard from Dave that we really partner very closely with Solar Rights Alliance for California. Mm -hmm. So we sort of figure they've got that covered. Although we do have a lot of people from California and we might do, you know, we do a lot of the softer stuff like the education and those kinds of things. And if there's an action in California, we'll send them to Dave because okay. he's tracking that. And then we have people organizers on the ground in about 10 states. We start in DC so we're like starting there. It was like DC, Maryland, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio. That was all word of mouth. We're in Pennsylvania, we have a big program in Florida, Texas, Colorado, Arizona, Minnesota, and Indiana. Wow. So we have people on the ground in those states, but if there's something big happening in another state, even if we don't have staff there, we'll refer people to other campaigns or digital, A lot of our opportunities for learning and training or federal work, you can be anywhere. So we're really there like full service, get any solar owner in the country or anybody who wants to learn solar, join us. We ask, we have a membership, it's only a recommended fee. You don't have to pay if you don't want. The yeah. key thing is give us your email. Let's get in touch and let's figure out what are you interested in? And then we have something probably for everyone already.
0: That's so great. That's so amazing. And, and you know, just like with what David said when we were on the, on the phone, you know, we the education piece is, I think the most important thing that anybody can do when it comes to something like this, when you're asking people to advocate for you, you should be telling them what they're advocating for. So I really appreciate your approach to educating your, your members. Um, When it comes to goals and, and, and success, what is, what is success to you with Soul United Neighbors? Uh,
3: That's so hard. It's really hard to be precise, you know, that, I mean, we really believe in a clean energy system that has rooftop solar as its cornerstone. And so what does that mean? That, that doesn't mean we're against utility scale, solar or wind or anything like that. Right. It means that a significant portion of our energy in our country in all 50 states comes from rooftop and distributed community solar. And that means that the control is in local communities everywhere. It means the jobs are spread everywhere. It means the energy savings and the ownership is distributed. So it's really about clean energy and it's about equity and it's about social, it's about control, right? It's independence. And I think that's the essence. I think we always have debates. Are we talking, you know, 40%? I always use that number. 40% 40% should be locally owned and locally right. controlled. And this other 60% could be, um, you know, all the other, you know, big sources. It's a, just an equitable transition yeah. right, to 100% clean energy. Right. I'm not going to argue with anybody if they want to say it should be 35% or <laughs> 42%. I'll be like, fine. Right. You know? Right. We're just, we're trying to get closer. Just
0: moving that. the needle. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah.
3: Well, I'm providing options because,
1: you know, not everybody's going to be able to have, you know, especially me being a renter, like I can't, I can't go solar. So I think the community aspect makes a lot of sense specifically for renters. Um, But yeah, and and not every homeowner might, it might not make the most sense. So curious, like, what are some of the, um, I don't even know how to ask this question, um, but like configurations, it's, you know what I mean? Like, homeowners owning their own solar versus community. What are some of the trends that you're seeing in some of the different states? Because clearly every state, I'm sure, is, is going to be different That's because interesting. of yeah. climate, how much sun they get, you know, just a variety of different reasons.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people start with, I want it for myself because they right. want to save the money on their bill, sure. right? And, and they want that feeling of like doing it. But there's a lot of people like you that can't do it. They're renters. They're in an apartment building. Maybe they're planning to move, you know, in six months or whatever. And the community solar, it's only its only really in about 10 states. That's mm. shared solar where you can subscribe. And there's literally probably uh, millions more people that want it than can get it. Like yeah. those project pipelines are really small. So we have a shopping site. On our, on our website where you can try to find community solar projects. But the hardest part for us is finding projects to list. because right. They usually sell out right away.
2: Gotcha.
3: Um, a lot of people aren't waiting around. So what they'll do is, well, if I can't go solar and there's not community solar in my state yet, let's put solar in our church. Let's put solar on the local school. Right. There's a woman's shelter that's struggling Um, there's a food bank in D.C., and people got together and got them solar, and then they testified that the savings from solar allowed them to serve 40,000 more meals a year. Oh, my gosh. What, 40,000? 40,000. Wow. I I can go find you the testimony. I mean, it's just, it's a a big building. But still, so you don't have to wait. Like, there's sort of a project for every market, even if it's a really... You know, like we'll set up a crowdfunding for we're doing crowdfunding for low income solar projects. Um, We've got one in um, Indianapolis right now and we're starting one in Duluth. So even any kind of market, people can still come together and move this idea forward by working together.
0: Right. And that brings up another point about and this is something that, you know, only recently I was made aware of. The, the the term energy poverty uh is is pretty prevalent in the US and uh this was brought to light um and I'll I'll bring it up now you were featured on a a movie that was just recently released um, on PBS uh it's called Power Trip with Jonathan Scott so Jonathan Scott is one half of the Property Brothers um and he funded a movie uh all about solar power and you know the the battle with the utility companies and energy pro- poverty was a big topic on that on that movie. Uh, is is there anything you can add to that conversation?
3: Well, first of all, he did an amazing job on the movie, I yes. thought, and just making it accessible and it's like so many people his journey started with trying to put solar on his own roof. Right. And then it kind of started to uncover these layers of like, why isn't this easier? Why, who's getting in my way? Why doesn't everybody have it? You know? Yeah. And when yeah. you start asking those questions, it led him across the whole United States. Um, but energy pod really is such an important concept because some people pay a huge percentage of their income for to keep the lights on. yeah, And there are many people in this country who have to choose between paying the electric bill and buying food. So, and I don't, I'm not a numbers person, so I can't, somebody else could tell you the exact number of people and the stats and the yeah. percentages. I can't do that because I can never remember numbers, but I can tell you, we did, we ran a, a low income solar program in Washington DC and it was part of after passing that bill for Solar for All, they started the implementation and we ran it for 18 months. And um, uh, Yesenia Rivera, who's a woman on my staff who ran that program, talking to participants and saying, uh, and some of them were in the movie actually. Uh-huh. And it was like, well, what's, you know, what? how is it going to change your life now that you have solar on your roof? And they were literally like, now I don't have to pick.
2: Right.
1: Oh, yeah. She
3: was like, I could buy bread now. Yeah. yeah. Right? I Is that that co- yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's so amazing to see a solution like rooftop solar that works at so many levels. Right. It's the local jobs. It's your income. It's equity, climate, it's clean energy, yeah. air pollution. You know, it's such a huge stack, value stack. Yeah. Right?
0: And when we talk about that, you know, a lot of people will say, Oh, I went solar because I wanted to save money on my electric bill. You know, you don't hear the stories very often. But you know, they're out there where it is instead of I wanted to save money on my electric bill. I wanted to be able to buy food for my kids. I wanted yeah. to, you know, be able to buy new clothes for my, my daughter, you know, things like that. And, and not a lot of people hear that story. And so I think it was super important to hear that on that movie because it's going to bring this whole new, uh, um, demographic of people out so that people can see these people are hurting and solar can be a solution for that. I mean, who would have yeah. thought that solar energy would be a solution for feeding a family? It's it's insane.
1: Yeah. And I love that it's so diverse yeah. in, in the benefits that it provides. Yeah, And it's it, it, another frustrating thing was to see how you know, the companies try to, to market against it, you know, to make it sound like, oh, it's taking jobs away. and right. But really, it's bringing jobs, it's bringing better jobs, cleaner jobs, because, you know, the, I think it was Pennsylvania, they were, you know, there's like this rally and everyone's like, oh, you know, we don't want to lose the jobs. But at the same time, solar can bring the jobs and, you know, black lung disease, you yeah. know, effects I don't even again I'm not a numbers person either. Yeah. Uh, So I'm right there with you. I can't speak the stats, but I know that it's a huge
0: number of coal miners. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the coal miners. Like so they've got I mean they're just riddled with health issues because of the coal. You know, nuclear, I don't even want to go there
2: probably
1: (laughs) fish. You know, it's like the Simpsons. So you know, I mean there's just so many benefits of going solar from a better job perspective. So I'm surprised at all of the campaigns like against it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Special interests. We're running this campaign right now. We're just getting ready to launch with a lot of partners. We're looking for partners called 30 million solar roofs. And the idea is um, that really solar roofs should be part of the stimulus and that there should be a really targeted both policy changes and funding to get solar on low-income roofs and in low-income communities. And that is, again, this sort of stack, get the jobs in low-income yeah. communities. But there's a lot of barriers to low-income people going solar, even though we know because we're in the solar area that you can save money over the long term with solar if you do it you got to come up with the cash yeah Yeah. you got to have a decent credit rating you have to have financing your roof has to be in decent shape yeah but there are solutions for all of that and we've identified a lot of them and there's many practitioners out there one thing you can do is the federal tax credit can be a grant if you're low income if you don't have make enough money to pay taxes it should be a grant for you. Right. Or if you're a nonprofit, like a church, you should be able to get a grant for the, the, that piece of it. Yeah. Another thing is innovative financing, and there's a lot of interesting work going on there. Another is just twinning solar programs with uh, community programs like roof replacement or housing programs. So why not include it? If you're trying to get people into low-income housing Think of the whole bill, not just the bill for paying for the mortgage, but the mortgage plus utilities. Right. And you start to build that in. So it's shifts in thinking, shifts in financing, some policy changes, and then some directed targeted stimulus funds could really transform this, this kind of work. So that's the 30 million solar roofs is what we're calling it. I love that. People, they want to argue, should it really be 30 million roofs and not 29? (laughs) And I'm like, I don't care what number. Don't care.
0: It, <laughs> right? Well, when you know when you talk about the um, federal ITC turning that into a grant, is that something that is actively being worked on?
3: Well, we're more in the so it happened in the last stimulus bill mm-hmm. in two thousand and eight when there was the financial crash yeah and they did the the arra i think you know the big stimulus money that came to sort of get the u.s out of the economy they did it then so there's precedent okay and so we're trying to build on that so right now we're just talking about it there isn't a piece of introduced legislation yeah it's more of a movement that we're trying to build steam for that for that idea
0: gotcha uh, when it comes to the ITC itself, is that something that you're working on for legislation, supporting the legislation behind uh, increasing that, or I guess extending it?
3: Yeah, we we're always on that. Um, we we usually add this part about making it a, a grant for low income and yeah. nonprofits. Um, but yes, whenever there's an opportunity, we're letting solar owners across the country know that it's an opportunity. And you might say, well why are they going to act if they've already got their solar and they have probably already took their tax credit or they might've done a third party ownership, in which case they might not even know about it. Right. Yeah. Cause the solar company took the tax credit and right. they're just leasing the system. But what we find is if people have taken the trouble to go solar, they care about solar. Right. And mm-hmm. we actually have studies showing that solar owners are five times more likely to take action on clean energy than just other people. And it's like they put their money where their mouth is, and now they're putting their actions. That's so, so great. we educate people. Even if they went solar with a PPA, we're like, well, did you know about the ITC? Did you know how that financed and made your system more affordable? Don't you want more people to do it? Right. And what we always hear back is, yes, let's expand it. Let's get more people. Let's make this grow. So it's it just takes sometimes some steps to get people, yeah. like, we talk about ITC and everybody does. what are you talking about? Investment tax credits still don't get it. So you have to say, okay, we're talking about the government tax credit for rooftop solar.
2: Right, right. right.
3: And then people are like, oh, that's great. We should have more things like that.
0: <laughs> right. And
3: <they're> like, yes. <laughs> yes, we Stand should. It.
0: Become a member. Help us bigger. make these programs. Yes, I love it. How that.
3: could it go <laughs> away, right? We're on the verge of like, we're just about to explode. How could it be going down? You
0: know? Yeah. And that was something that was really interesting. Um, recently, We were I was looking at um, SEIA's um, – What did they call it there? The plan for 2021 that they were going to be presenting the the roadmap, the roadmap. Yeah. Yeah. According to SIA, the residential and commercial solar ITC has helped the U.S. solar industry grow by more than 10,000 percent since it was implemented in 2006. So you look at that number and you go, okay, well, this is a no brainer. It should be continuing to grow. It's 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 mind boggling how this isn't a thing. And it's not continuing. Why
1: is that? Because getting into solar politics is very new to me. So, you know, the, the legacy of, you know, this is something we have now and it's going away,
3: but why? Yeah. We will get that question a lot of times, especially from libertarians who are like, you know, we don't believe in government subsidies and things like that. And, uh, we want a fair, you know, level playing field. We want everything to compete. And the, the The problem with that argument is that there are massive subsidies in the other sectors. It's just that people don't see it or talk about it. So nuclear has the most subsidies. And there's, I think, a half a dozen laws that create permanent subsidies for nuclear. Like they don't have to pay for their liability if they blow up. The government takes that. That's worth like billions of dollars a year. And then there's state level subsidies. There's tax subsidies. And then the oil and gas industry have huge subsidies. So you can't say solar sh- and wind should have no subsidies while you're massively subsidizing the other side. Yeah. So if, if you come from the ideology, which I respect, I, it's not my ideology, but I respect people who <laughs> want consistency, that's okay. If you want not to have government subsidies, you got to actually level the whole playing field, not just take away solar and wind subsidies and keep the other side heavily, heavily, heavily propped up and, and supported. Right. So it's got to be fair if you're going to do it. And so that's the problem. And I think, you know, one thing just more is the cost of solar has just been dropping. And so when they made that deal for it to go away – they were thinking, well, we'll be about at grid parity by, by the time it goes away, so we shouldn't need it. And in theory, we're pretty close to grid parity, but what people think grid like, parity means yeah. that the cost of going solar equals, equals or is less than what it costs to buy electricity from the utility. Okay. Right? So if, in theory, you don't need a subsidy if you're competitive. But the problem is all the stuff we were talking about before, the utilities keep putting these roadblocks and fees and interconnection and trying to stop it and caps on that metering and uh, permitting and all those things add to the cost. So even though the equipment has gotten cheaper and cheaper, what they call the soft costs are still very high. And that's part of the problem. And the theory by keeping the subsidy going is that the more there is, the more we can reduce the rest of the costs. So over time, it should need less and less subsidies.
2: Right.
0: Gotcha.
3: But do you feel
1: we're, we're
3: even halfway
1: there, close to like this needing to be lowered? Like in your opinion, should we just maintain um, the ITC credit right now rather than reduce it? Like do you think well, we're there yet to
3: There's reduce? no there's no argument for reducing it in the middle of an economic depression. Right. Like, that's true. just crazy talk, right? Yeah. I think there's an argument, you know, juice it back up for I don't know, 5 years so people have time, there's planning, when things change every year it makes it very hysterical. And then I think there's a really an argument for transitioning the support towards the more difficult parts of the market. So as solar gets cheaper and cheaper, you might not need it for large utility scale solar, or at least not as much, but you really might need even a bigger subsidy for low income solar, or maybe you'd want to subsidize the hell out of solar for farms and poor rural communities. So I think there's an argument for maybe not such a broad subsidy and doing more targeted um, but for now, in the middle of an economic depression, they should just pull out all the stops and let's get those jobs cranking. That
0: makes a lot of sense, because right now it's a it's one solution for everybody, whether, no matter your situation. So, yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Hmm. And, and there's, us think. <laughs> you know, there's a huge
3: variety from states. Right. So some states also create support within the state and some states have no support. And so the economics really vary uh, from state to state at this point. Right. So, it's.
0: so, what do you think? And you know, we're we're talking about states that have solar, or you know, they're they're solar states. What is it going to take for states that aren't technically solar states, the non-solar states? What's it going to take for them to become solar states?
3: I think the only thing that is really important is removing the barriers to solar. Like I know a lot of, you know, industries focused a lot on the investment tax credit and subsidies or grant programs. I think in a lot of times these intermittent grant programs actually do more to slow down solar than accelerate the market. And that the real problems are the, barriers like there is in almost every state a cap on net metering right right so you could only have you know behind the meter rooftop solar coming up to like one two three at the most i think five uh, percent of the market i think that's crazy talk I mean, I think you should get rid of – I think it should be illegal to have a cap on net metering. Right. It should be the utility's job to figure out how to integrate as much rooftop solar as there is.
2: Right. You
3: you might have to have dynamic pricing or rate design or storage (laughs) or all that crazy, you know, stuff. But the idea of just throttling it, just having a cap on net metering is nuts. So those are the kinds of things that – um, fixed charges there's a tons of utilities especially smaller ones that they're like okay you can have solar but you gotta pay us $50 a month for the right to have solar right and so there's a lot of barriers there's a lot of very ridiculous um, permitting that's not like I'm very because we're consumer advocates we really care about having good strong permitting rules yeah to protect homeowners and protect consumers. But there's a big difference between a good, strong, rigorous permitting process and like this crazy stuff where you gotta like wait in line all day to get to hand in your paper. And yeah. then you gotta, you know, like all of this paper is arbitrary, there's fees. They say yes, they say there's 10 identical permits. They say yes to one and they say no to seven and they say revise the others. You know there's a lot of work to be done in terms of barriers to solar and those are the things that's keeping it from taking off more than the subsidies got it
1: yeah and that's why i mean freedom forever we we handle that permitting process for our customers so they don't have to do that but yeah it's i mean the especially with covid because you know a lot of a lot of the ahas you know whether they closed or reduced hours it just elongated the process even more so it's it's definitely been a challenge this last year, but as much as we absolutely can, we will keep that out of, you know, the customer's <laughs> hands. Yeah, <absolutely. laughs> Like one less gray hair for them.
3: Yeah. It's one of the things we always, when we're advising people who are going solar, we say, you know, getting a company that's really used to working with the permitting authority yeah. is really important because for most people, the solar installer will do that work. But they have to know what they're doing. And a lot of uh, sort of newcomers underestimate, you know, the extent to which that's really a core piece of the job right now. There's lots of work. The solar app is, you know, digital permits and one day instant, like what they have in Europe, you know, instant online permitting. There's a lot of efforts to streamline that. And I think that works really important. But in the yeah. meantime, you need a good company. To <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah,
1: absolutely. I was going to say, are there more efficiencies being thought about, you know, because you mentioned the solar app and we love that concept. Um, I know some of our team members have been involved in, in some of that development. Mm-hmm. Um, are there other like tools that are being built or efficiencies being created um, that similar to that?
3: I don't have a good answer to that. I'm sure there are, but I feel like in my brain, it's so much happening either local or state and that there's not great connection. We do a lot of learning in one state to another. Right. And there's, um, there's some national networks, like there's a network of people that work on fixed charges And we've been working, I'll give you an example, we've been working on model legislation on homeowner's agreements, HOAs. Mm -hmm. We've passed the bill in a couple places and we failed in a few places because HOAs often put arbitrary limits on rooftop solar. So there's sort of, uh, there's a lot of examples like that where there's like a model HOA, like HOAs cannot stop solar. It's ridiculous, they shouldn't. Mm -hmm. But you you often need state-level legislation for that. Um, There's sort of solar bill of rights efforts. So um, there's a lot of ideas, but I'm not sure there's like, this is our top five, then these are really working and we're rolling them out yet. Everyone's like, we're all like, you know, the, well, oh, there's the finger in the dike and everybody's got all their fingers. Yeah. In the, no, there's right? just so
1: many things. There's so many opportunities. I think that's, I think that's really exciting. I mean, there's, there's always oh, almost like endless ways to get involved and to be thinking about moving solar forward. So yeah. Yeah. just curious, cause I, I wasn't sure of anything else outside of that. So I figured I'd ask the question. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um and and that's and and that's a good point. I I kind of want to bring it back to getting involved. So with your membership, um what are what are the what's the low-hanging fruit for somebody who's just new to solar and they want to get involved? Like what's what's probably the the easy le, the the path of least resistance for your members?
3: Solar 101 yeah. webinars, you know, we we run them all the time. They're yeah. open to the public, they're free. Just basic solar. And then we have like solar 201 and we have learn about batteries and we have, you know, so I'd say get on the mailing list, participate in some webinars, get on our Facebook group, start meeting some other people, uh, yeah. maybe go on to a state uh, group, meet other people from your state. Yeah, It's just like a lot of just simple entry level stuff for people to get their feet wet. And yeah. then- you know, we're putting out notices like every week, like, anybody want to do this? Anybody want to do that? So
2: yeah. <laughs>
3: then it's, you know, it's just. So good. then it's
1: respond to our email. Get yeah, involved.
2: exactly. Yeah.
3: Or, or start your own initiative and we'll support you. Lots of times people will contact us and they'll be like, you know, I'm really trying to take my church solar. What do I do? Yeah. How do I do it? And so we're like, you know, here's some toolkits. Um, we can help you. So it could be you figure out what you want to do, or it could be come and learn or meet other people. Um, Yeah. So many different ways. I'm
0: hearing get get educated and there's plenty of resources with, with solar United neighbors to get educated. And that's, that's amazing. We even
3: have a girl scout, boy scout. We have a solar patch. I'm so
0: glad you said that because I was going to bring this up. So tell us more about the solar patch
3: yeah, so it you get, the patches are beautiful, and so there's a curriculum online. Usually, a whole troop will do it with with the troop leader. There's activities at various levels. You can get involved in your community. and then once everybody does it, they turn it in and they, and we send them the patch.
2: That's so and we cool. had.
3: Like thousands this year have wow. one solar patches. Really, thousands. Yeah, thousands. That's yeah. amazing. I think it was like two thousand five hundred or something. I this love year.
0: I love that thought because I I don't remember who I was talking to, but on the show I had brought up kind of uh, solar in the school system. Uh, yeah. You know, getting kids involved in solar and, and learning about the, the process, how you know how the technology works, why it's important to the environment, and you know that excites me because. This next generation, they're going to have to get on board with this technology, with this concept of solar. Um, and, uh, my daughter, she's 12 now and she brought home a solar project and I was ecstatic because, you know, it's important. I, you know, when, when you're talking about, their future and, and their the legacy that we're leaving behind i hope this is part of it and i hope that it it takes off and more schools get involved with solar renewable energy because that is the future and and so when you tell me about these girl scout boy scout programs it's so relieving to hear that these kids are uh, given the opportunity to do it but also enthusiastic about doing it
3: yeah yeah, yeah cool. it's
0: amazing You've um, done uh, such you've done such great work with Solar United Neighbors, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention that in 2014 you were selected by the White House as one of ten White House Champions of Change for solar deployment for your groundbreaking work to deploy solar in the national camp uh, national capital region. Uh, t- can you tell me a little bit about the Champions of Change?
3: Uh, it was really fun. That was the main thing. I mean, there was awards that went out to people from all over the country from uh, President Obama, and they invited everybody to the White House. And um, the award for me was really, just as we were working on community solar. And so it was really about, it was one of the very early community solar Mm. bills. And it's a very different bill because we were really putting equity and access in the center, and so it's an open program that anybody can participate in. Yeah. but the most fun thing about it, was, because I grew up in D.C., so like going to the White House is frankly not interesting <laughs> to me. Like the people coming to like the West Coast or someplace, you know, right. that was a thrill. But for me, I'm like, oh, whatever. But I got to meet these amazing people yeah. from all over the country, and we still keep in touch. Um, and it's it felt like – summer camp sort of meeting these amazing energy innovators and stuff. It's
0: nice when you all have the same um the same goals or the same, you know, the same interests. And you know, you're all out for the greater good of I mean the world, you know, when it comes down to it. That's amazing. Congratulations. That's that's that must have been such an honor. It
3: was really
0: nice. That's cool. I I I loved this conversation. Anya, did you have anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up?
3: I only had one thing. You were asking Jules about um sort of other things that we're doing that are across like the solar app. Mm-hmm. And one of them is legalizing power purchase agreements. Oh right. And it's just it's I know for people for where solar leasing and third party ownership is really common, like California, it's almost incomprehensible to realize that in much of the United States it's illegal to have third party ownership for solar. And so we've been running bills in right now in West Virginia and Florida to legalize power purchase agreements. And there's uh, one in Alabama as well that we've been trying to be supportive of. And uh, it's just so basic. And part of it has to do with the structure of that investment tax credit. Like, if you're a church, you can't take a tax credit because you don't pay taxes because you're a nonprofit. And just for financing, whether you're a big box, you know, warehouse or whether you're a homeowner or whether you're a church or a community center or or a school, third-party ownership is really where the financing comes from. Somebody else, third-party ownership for the people that don't understand it, somebody else owns the solar they pay for it and then you buy the energy from them. And mm-hmm. it's just a really sort of essential building block of a robust, broad, equitable solar market. Yeah. And it's crazy. It's kooky that it's illegal in so many states. And so that's one of the fights that we're having in multiple jurisdictions. Why is it illegal? Yeah. I mean, that would be my first
1: question. Like,
3: right. It, it sort of gets back to that movie. It's because the utilities. Have a monopoly on selling electricity, and they're so threatened that they don't even want a little church down the road. Like that's what that um, North Carolina story was. Right. They don't want this little church to have a few kilowatts of solar on their roof because it sort of existentially threatens their monopoly. But if you think
1: about it at a concept level, they're basically saying what they're doing is illegal. Yeah. Right. I mean, am I not following it right? Because, like, they're producing, they're the third party, and people are paying them for they're energy. Saying,
3: no, they're saying only they can do it. That they have a, mono, a legally sanctioned so, monopoly. Okay. So they don't want any competition.
0: So that, yeah, yes. I mean, they're they're making so, it illegal. So, yeah, I mean,
3: they're
1: saying, like, we could do it, but you can't. It's right,
0: illegal right. Can. Exactly. They're making it illegal because it's accessible at that point.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Gosh. Oh, so much I know, to, to change.
2: change. <laughs> I'm
1: not I know. I know. Yeah. Movie and now again, I'm like, oh.
0: <laughs> I was fired up.
3: Like, it seems so un-American too. It does, right? like, it that does. Kind of of the most basic, like, you don't have to be left-wing or anything. It's just like, we have a capitalist system here, yeah. whether you like it or not. Anybody should be able to own this stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether it's me or my neighbor or the, you know, company down the road. Yeah. It's
0: nuts. Oh, it's infuriating. I I was very fired up while watching uh, watching that movie. That's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, uh, if there's nothing else to add, did you have anything else you wanted to throw in on you? I want to make sure your voice is heard if you have anything.
3: Uh, No, I just uh, solarunitedneighbors.org. Yep, absolutely. Oh, we will hit on it. Don't be (laughs) worried. For sure.
0: Well, thank you so much. It sounds like that's our time for today. Anya, thank you so much. This was such a fabulous conversation. And and I'm just, I'm so glad that all of this timing worked out to where we were able to meet. I got to see you on a a movie that I was super passionate about. And now we get to have a really fun conversation. So thank you so much for joining us. It was such a pleasure.
3: Great question. It was really fun hanging out with you guys on a Friday afternoon. Yes,
0: absolutely. Thank you so much. So for all of you listening, to learn more on how to get involved with Solar United Neighbors, visit solarunitedneighbors.org. And for the National Solar Tour that Anya was referencing, check out nationalsolartour.org. And if you'd like to catch her in Power Trip featuring Jonathan Scott, check out pbs.org for everything you need to know about Freedom Forever and the Solar Disruption Theory podcast. Visit solardisruptiontheory.com and also make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and help us share this podcast with the world. On behalf of Jules, Anya, and myself, thank you so much for listening to the Solar Disruption Theory podcast. We'll talk to
2: you soon.